You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. As Micah said, we are three weeks into our teaching series called The Name. And uh, if you look around our building, uh, you see the names of God just littered throughout the decorations. Um, and it looks, it looks wonderful. So uh, our, our decorating team this year did a really good job with the trees, but also um, helping bring out the names of God into the, into the, the theme of what we're, what we're going after. Hopefully you're also following along in our Advent series, uh, our Advent resource. Um, it, it is also walking through the names of God. See, names are important. Names have meaning, and names have intentionality. I can't think of too many parents that just haphazardly named their child, right? It had a purpose. It had a, a, a meaning. It, had a, 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 it really had intentionality behind it. Um, you see, nobody told me this before I was a parent, that that was going to be one of the most stressful things of my life. And uh, I got to do that five times, stressing out five times of what to name my children. Uh, Kara and I, we have five children, like I said, and we talked early on, before we started having children, about uh, certain criteria of, of ways and, and names that we liked and things that we would never name our children. Hopefully you guys also did that as well, too. Um, but it couldn't be a name that we knew of somebody closely. Okay, this was just our rules. Um, couldn't be somebody that we knew closely, a friend. Uh, we couldn't know a lot of people with that name. Um, we have many nieces and nephews as well, and it couldn't be a name of a niece or nephew that we already had. Um, couldn't be somebody that we dated. That was definitely a, a no-no, <laughs> right? Uh, we also didn't like names that were generally popular. We didn't like Google it and say, you know, the top 100 names, and we, we picked like one of the top three or five. We didn't want our, our girls and our son to grow up with, you know, five other kids in their class that were named the same name. Uh, it also didn't have to have a theme. See, my wife grew up in a family with two other sisters, and they all have a name that starts with the letter K. Uh, Kara, Kelly, and Kim. So we determined early on that they didn't have to have a theme. Uh, we determined also that they didn't have to have a biblical name. Okay, we like a lot of Bible names, and I think maybe this was just an overcorrection of um, maybe the, the church context that we grew out of. Everybody was naming their ch children Bible names, and we were like, you know what, that doesn't have to be us. We like a lot of Bible names, and we tried to infuse uh, Bible names into their middle names, um, but we didn't have to. We settled there. And then lastly, uh, we had to say it out loud like a hundred times and how it fit with our last name, Short. It's complicated. There's not a lot of names that go well with the last name Short. I'll just put it there. And uh, if you said it a hundred times and, and you beat it to death and you say, you know what, that name worked. It actually kind of stuck. Uh, then it was one of, the, the, one of the names that was a prospect. However, Kara and I were very indecisive when it came to naming our children. Uh, a lot of the names that we liked early on even up until the day that they were born, okay? Our oldest daughter, Leanne, um, up until the day she was born, she was going to be named Jana. 
I don't know why. We actually had pictures, like baby bump pictures with blocks spelling out Jana on my wife's belly. And it was like, to look back at that now is just so bizarre. Like, why did we get so locked into a name? And then our daughter was born and we, we decided to change. Our fourth daughter, Mallory, didn't have a name for about three days. Uh, and that was one of the criteria that we had to be able to have a name before they would let us go from the hospital. We just didn't know what she looked like. We were like, ah, I really don't know. There's just so many options. Um, my name has intentionality. I am a junior, David Ray Short Jr. Uh, my middle name, Ray, is a, a five-generation middle name, so it's kind of special to me. Um, my great-grandfather was Harley Ray, then my grandfather was Francis Ray, then my father, David Ray, I am David Ray, and then I had a son, Nolan Ray. So we felt like we wanted to carry on uh, that, that middle name. My mom's name was chosen with intentionality. Just bear with me for a few seconds. This is not about my family and our names, but um, my mom, her maiden name was Christmas, okay? My mom was born Merry Christmas on New Year's Day in 1960 to Ken and Shirley Christmas. My mom grew up with the name Merry Christmas, and she talks about it all the time, how she was made fun of as a, as a kid. Other kids in her class would be like, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. I can't imagine having the name Merry Christmas. But even my mom's name had intentionality. So just a, a secret pro tip for anyone expecting anyone who ever will have children one day. You know what, don't stress about it because they end up going by whatever you call them anyway. So whatever you choose, whatever you land, they end up being that. So don't stress. But names are important. Names have meaning. Names have intentionality. You see, we see this all throughout Scripture. There's people in the Bible um, that God was not even haphazard with their name. Their names had purpose. Um, and, you know, it was not unusual for their name to uh, be, have a specific characteristic that was true about them as well, too. The name Abraham means multitude. Moses means son or deliverer. Peter means rock. Jacob means deceiver. See, there's names all throughout Scripture that God had intentionality with the names of, of, of people throughout Scripture. So that's where we've been. That's where we're going in this series called The Name. We've been unpacking this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And uh, we're going to focus in on that a little bit more this morning. But a little bit of brief context. The prophet Isaiah lived in a time of deep internal, spiritual, and relational darkness. The nation of Israel and Judah were divided. And um, at this time, they were, they were been at war for about 200 years. And uh, they were a nation in turmoil. There was hate. There was violence. There was death. There was economic hardship. There were people going and, and living for themselves, not honoring God. And uh, they were really just following after the leaders and rulers that they had had in place because a lot of the rulers were doing that as well. So God sent prophets to both of these kingdoms to call the people to repent and turn back to him. But a lot of times they refused to hear him and re re refused to hear the prophets. God opened up Isaiah's eyes to what broke his heart. He said there were a people walking in darkness. And as we learned over the last couple weeks that Jesus came to dispel the darkness, to provide light, to provide hope. That he promised to bring hope and light to this darkness by sending a Messiah. See, God spoke to the prophet Isaiah 
uh, about this Messiah who would come 700 years later and describes him with four names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So that's where we're going today. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into that passage this morning. So if you have your Bibles, or there's one in the seat back ahead of you, uh, you have it on your phone, um, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to walk through Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. It starts out with a promise. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought it in contempt, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. You see, these were the northern tribes of Israel, which would later become Nazareth and Capernaum. But in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when the divide of spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So this picture of one who would come and redeem and reign and rule. And I think the expectation that uh, these people had was this, this powerful ruler. They didn't expect to see this Messiah being a baby. Pick up in verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with the justice of his righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So today we're going to focus in on that. This, This idea, this word, this name of God as everlasting father. But see in Isaiah 9, 6, we also see... The words here, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. How is a child, a son, also a father? It can be pretty confusing at face value. So I want to just clear up uh, uh, just a minor theological challenge out of the gate. That a, a promised baby, child, Jesus, Messiah, father, how does this all work? So scholars here agree that calling Jesus the everlasting father is not mistaking him for the first person of the Godhead. This does not mean he switched places with God, okay? This, is, uh, this can literally be translated father of eternity. Father here is the noun, and everlasting is the term that describes the type of his fatherhood, meaning he is father forever. Everlasting father here refers to a quality of his character as a father to us. So, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, This morning, that is great news because we have an everlasting Father who cares for us, who loves us, and it never ends. You see, this text gives us a framework of being able to see who God is and how He relates to us. But let's unpack that just for a few moments. What does everlasting mean? 
See, that's not a, a term that we hear too often. It's not a term that we even say very much. Everlasting. You see, that, that concept is hard for us to grasp because we don't see anything in this world that lasts. You think about it. Even my phone, two years ago, you know, was, was obsolete. Um, I can't even update the newest version of iOS because it's too old. And they, they, they do that on purpose, right? So it becomes obsolete. Cars, houses, everything that we own is fading. We are fading, right? We are temporary. The average lifespan of a man, I looked it up this week, is 71 years old. And women, you get to live a little bit longer. The average lifespan of a woman is 75 years. We are transient. We are temporary. We don't last forever. So the Hebrew word here translated everlasting is this idea of timelessness without end. It can be translated as eternal. If you go back to verse 7, it says the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. That, that Jesus would come, Messiah would come to establish his kingdom and uphold it from this time forth and forevermore. So this idea, this concept of, of timelessness, eternity, is hard for us to wrap our mind around. That we have a God who is everlasting. That he is before all things. He is after all things. Revelation calls him the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. This is who God is. He's always existed and always will. See, we see the fulfillment of that idea and that thought in Colossians 1, 15-20. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, I just love that passage because what it does a lot of times for me is put into reality that we have a God Right, that was before all things and is after all things, so that no matter what you are going through, the truth there in that passage, in him all things hold together. That God is in control. See, passages like these speak to uh, what theology calls the immutability of God. That God is unchanging in his character, in his will, and in his covenant promises. That he is eternally consistent and never changing. I love what Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, we have these great promises to remind our hearts often, but these concepts of knowing who God is are, are challenging to wrap our minds around. I remember the other night as we were walking through the first part of the Advent resource um, after dinner, we, 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 we go through this as a family, and... Uh, the day one was the Word, okay? If you remember in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Fast forward down to verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. So trying to help our children understand that in the beginning, Jesus was there. Jesus was with God in creation. They call him, Jesus, God calls him the Word. He, the Word became flesh. But this idea of how, how did Jesus be with God in creation 
and then fast forward thousands of years, become a baby, and grow up and live a human life, a perfect, sinless life. That concept is hard for us to wrap our minds around. Genesis 1.26 says, um, let, us, let us make man in our image. This is God speaking here, speaking to the Godhead, the, the, the fact that we have a God that functions and works um, in unity. There is one God, three persons. The God has, is existing eternally. Uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Equal in power and in glory. And whether or not you can wrap your mind around that today, you may not get it all figured out. That's the beauty of faith at some level, right? I love what Romans 11 says, for who can know the mind of God? But the pursuit of knowing Him is the beauty of what God uh, wants for us and the mystery that he wants for us in, in, in growing more in our relationship with him. You see, the fact that 700 years after Isaiah's prophecy, a baby would be born, for God, that's like a, a blink of an eye. We can't even fathom 700 years for many of us. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son to be born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoptions, adoption as sons. You see, Christmas is all about celebrating the arrival of the promised one, the one who would step in to rescue and redeem our brokenness, our sin, and provide hope and healing and restoration. So what about the role of, of Jesus, this Messiah, as Father? I think for many of us, it's hard to understand this concept of everlasting, but it's not hard for us to understand the role of Father because for us, that's a little bit more tangible. That's a tangible relationship that we can experience. You see, in ancient times, the father of a nation was viewed in much the same way as the father of a family. The father was to provide and to protect for his children in the same way um, that he would provide for his own children. And this father of a nation... Um, Jesus was the fulfillment of that to be the father of a nation, the nation of Israel. We get a picture of, uh, of what, this, what the characteristics of this is in Psalm 103.13. As the father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those that fear him. You see, there's a specific love, a compassion, an empathy, and a care that a father should have for his children. Now, I don't have those feelings for other people's children, some, but it's not the same as, as the ones that God has entrusted to me as a father. See, we see this all throughout Scripture, the fatherly aspects of Jesus' character. John 14, 9 says, um, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. So we get this understanding that the Godhead is hard to wrap our mind around. See, if God were only almighty, only powerful, only creator, we'd have a different relationship with him. We can expect to approach him differently. But because we have an everlasting father, the way that we relate to God, the way we understand God, it is different. We have a personal relationship. We have access to him. And, and, and I think it's beautiful that, that he gives us this picture of an everlasting father. Well, here at NCC and in, and in my life, I know there are many wonderful fathers that, that are present here today. Um, 
Many who love their children, who have loved their children, who have invested time and energy and resources to, to raise their, their families in a godly way, have modeled the way for, for their families to follow after Jesus. And like I said, we've got some amazing fathers in our presence, and I know many of you. But some of you today, you're sitting here, and that's not you. You didn't have that. Maybe you grew up without a dad present. Maybe he left or abandoned you when you were young. Or maybe for whatever circumstances, maybe it wasn't his fault or not. Like maybe he passed away while you were at a young age and you just, you just didn't have a dad present in your life. Some of you wish that your dad wouldn't have been around. You were hurt. You were abused. You were belittled. For that, I'm sorry. Maybe he was there but he wasn't really there. He was busy working on things or just didn't have time for you. Maybe you just weren't good enough. He was always disappointed in you. You see, some of the greatest pain in our life can come from the relationship or the lack thereof that we have with our father. See, there are far too many fathers who don't live up to the responsibility to lead in the way that God has entrusted them to lead. You see, there's a problem. It seems like it's continuing to get worse in, in our country, in our world, and in society at large. And according to the National Fatherhood Initiative, it says there's a father absence crisis in America. The results are sobering. The Pew Research Center in 1960 said 11% of American children lived apart from their dads. Today, that number is nearly 30%. Today, roughly 18.5 million children grow up without fathers present in their home, making the United States the world's leader in fatherlessness. See, this generation is being called the fatherless generation. The absence of a father, I would say, is the, the most significant breakdown of the home. The problems of sin and brokenness and the, and the things that we see all around us, I think can a lot of times be traced back to the fact that we don't have a father around. That children don't have a godly influence, somebody to help impact them and shape them and shepherd them. And many of us in here today don't have a high view of God or a high understanding or an opinion of God as Father because your Father was less than He was supposed to be. Maybe you carry a lot of baggage from that relationship. You can't fully understand God's goodness, His grace, His love, His mercy. Because when you think of God as Father, you think back to your own Father. And it's always framed through the lens or the fractured lens by, by the relationship that you had with your dad. But let me encourage you this morning. Psalm 68.4 says, Sing to God, sing in praise to His name, extol Him who rides upon the clouds, rejoice before Him, His name is the Lord. See, this is true about who He is. It says He is a Father to the fatherless a defender of widows. He is God and his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families and he leads out the prisoners with singing. Simply put, we, we have a problem in this country. There's brokenness, there is sin, but there's this reality that many don't have fathers to look to. See, church, we can point families and children and students and even our own hearts to this truth that we have an everlasting Father. 
See, I believe the fractured father relationships that we've had on this side of eternity point us to a better father. One who is perfect. One who is everlasting. One who will never abandon us. Never leave us. So this morning I want to help us do that by briefly pointing us to four truths about Jesus as our everlasting father. See, I'm reminded often in my own life when I get discouraged or when I get down that I have to remember who God is and I have to remember who I am in light of that. The, the more frequently we can do those things, remembering who God is and remember who we are, we can put things into perspective. Okay? So whatever you're going through today, whatever relationship you've had with your father, I want you to do that this morning. Pull out these truths, these takeaways about who God is and who you are in light of that. That'll start the process of healing and restoring this relationship that you could have with God the Father. So the goal is seeing God rightly and seeing yourself rightly as a child of God. First thing I want us to see, truth number one, that he is present. He is present. Because God is present, I belong. See, the truth is we are all needy people. We all have core needs. And a few weeks ago, Brandon talked about that. We all have this desire to be seen and known and loved and understood. We want to be safe. Because we have a Father who is present, all of those things are true. God's Word says that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. We have a God who is with us, that we can draw near to Him and He would draw near to us. You see, Jesus is the, the, the opposite of an absentee father. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And never means never. We have a God who is always there. He won't walk away. He won't abandon you. He won't give up on you. Jesus' words with his disciples before he ascended into heaven. In Matthew uh, 28, verse 20, says, I will be with you to the very end of the age, or the very end of the world. This idea of with you, meaning we have access to him. We belong with him because he is with us. See, there is this reality that we can walk away from God. Even though we belong to God, we can stray, we can wander, we can walk away. But we have an everlasting father who is, is always there waiting to receive us with open arms. Church, this morning, rest in the fact that because you have an everlasting Father who is present, you belong, you are safe, you are known, you are protected. Second thing I want us to see, that He is patient. He is patient. Because He is patient, this idea of forgiveness, we can rest in the fact that we are forgiven. You see throughout the Psalms this phrase, the, the Lord God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness. Probably five or six different times in, in even uh, Psalm 103. But in Psalm 86, 15, it says, But you, O Lord, are a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness. I love what 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slow, uh, is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, this idea of God as patient, it doesn't matter what we've done to mess up, that we can always go back to him, and he's, he's, he's waiting there with open arms to forgive us. 
Now, with five children, um, the, the role of a father in directing them on the right course uh, is quite challenging. And uh, even this week, I feel like God gives me a specific task to pre- preach on him as everlasting father. And, uh, and it just it, it didn't take much for things to get sideways with, with my kiddos and opportunities that would present themselves to, to help shepherd and shape uh, my kids in the right direction. And uh, I talked to Mallory about this yesterday before uh, I would say this, but Mallory is our fourth child, and um, we had a challenge this week about Mallory not following through on some things that we had asked her to do. Mallory looks at me after um, I, I tried correcting and disciplining her and said, Daddy, do you and Mommy hate me? And it broke my heart. Um, but the, the short answer to, to the long story is, as I said, no, Mallory, I do not hate you. Your value is not tied to what you do, but who you are. You are my child, and what you do, it matters, right? And I want you to own uh, the mistakes that you make. And, and when you make those mistakes, know that you can come to me and ask for forgiveness. You can go to God the Father, and you can, you can repent and, and change direction, and helping her understand this idea that just saying sorry is sometimes not good enough, okay? And um, saying sorry is always coupled with action steps or, or like living out the, the apology that, that you have. You can't just, you know, force your kid to say, hey, go tell your sister that you're sorry. They typically don't mean it when you do that, right? Helping shepherd my kids to, to understand God is patient, that he is one who forgives. See, he hears you. He takes time to listen. He doesn't turn away. He doesn't ignore us. You can open your heart to him this morning. You can seek forgiveness. You can repent and believe the good news of Jesus. You can rest in the fact that because we have an everlasting Father who is patient with us, that I am fully forgiven. I am fully accepted. I am fully redeemed. And like I said to my daughter Mallory this week, your value is not tied to what you've done, but who you are. You're a child of God. The third truth I want us to see this morning is that he is provider. He is provider. Because he is provider, I have everything that I need. And see, we grow up in a world, and uh, today it just seems like there's so many things that we, we need, right? So many things. We have to keep up with everybody else. Uh, and the challenge is parents um, trying to help our kids grow up in this world where everybody has whatever they want. It, it, it really is challenging. But when we trust the fact that God is a provider, uh, we can rest in the fact that he gives us all we need. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 6. Um, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, he talks about not worrying about the things of your life, right? God knows what we need, when we need it. And he talks about how he feeds the birds, how he clothes the grass. Like there's this idea that God takes care of the things around us. How much more will he take care of your own needs? It goes on to say, don't be anxious, don't worry about your life, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, I think, Jesus is pointing us to there that that ultimately the needs that we have point us to a greater need that can only be fulfilled in Jesus. He provides all that we need in this life. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Jesus is the provider, but he's also the provision. Jesus takes care of everything that we need. This morning we can rest in that fact. Because we have an everlasting Father, he has provided for us. He, he comforts us. He cares for us in whatever our needs are. And the last thing I want us to see this morning is that he is perfect. He is perfect. And because he is perfect, I am unconditionally loved. I've talked a little bit about my relationship with my kiddos this morning. And uh, I'll be the first to tell you that I'm not a perfect father. And uh, many of you guys know that. You understand that. That there are times that you mess up. And it seemed like this week there were opportunities for me to practice this out uh, in, in my own life. I'm not perfect as much as I want to strive to be perfect. I know I can't be perfect. But I think before I had children, I had this idea or this picture of what things would be. And I get my expectations set so high that when they, when they don't meet those expectations, I get disappointed. You see, maybe that was you growing up, of what your expectations would be about relationship with mom and dad, relationship with family, what life would be like. Maybe life got filled up with drama or dysfunction or divorce or tension, fractured relationships. I think a lot of times we have to readjust our expectations and have a better picture of the perfect one who unconditionally loves us. You see, there's this reality that we can still be imperfect, but point to, point to a perfect father. In my imperfections, I can still point my kids, point my wife, point my family, point people in my life to a perfect father. And see, what's perfect about him is his unconditional love for us. There are limits to our love. Sometimes conditions to our love. If people love me, then I'll love them back. If they do this for me, then I'll do that back. But we have a loving father who is perfect 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. He knows you fully, and he loves you deeply. God's word says in Psalm 139 that before the foundation of the world, he knew you. He knew all the hairs that would be on your head and the hairs that wouldn't be on your head. He knew that too, right? He knew you. He loved you. Before you ever spoke a word, before you ever sinned, God knew you. Church family, we can rest in the fact that we have a God who is perfect. His love for us is unconditional. Everything that we've ever dreamed of in a father and everything we've ever wanted from a relationship with our father, Jesus is and will be for you. Church, this morning we can rest in his loving arms today. We can rest in that truth. Like I said, often the growth in my life is just getting back to the point of, of believing what's true about God and believing what's true about myself. And a lot of times there's a gap between what I know and what I actually believe. Sometimes you know a thing, but you don't believe it. And the pursuit of growing more in love with Jesus, growing more in, in godliness, is closing that gap of what you know and what you believe so that they match up. Church family, this morning, it's about constantly reminding our hearts of what's true. That we have a God who is perfect, patient. He is provider. He is all these things to us. He is everlasting. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He forgives you. You see, I think this year God has reminded me of a passage that um, 
I think it would be the theme of this year for me. I go back to Hebrews chapter 10, um, and, and it says this, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The other night we were asked that at the elder meeting, like, what has God been saying to you? And there's just been this resounding theme of God's faithfulness, that amidst the challenges, amidst the roller coaster and the crazy of life, that we have a God who is faithful. And for me, like holding fast to what's true about Jesus, right? For his promises are true and he is faithful. Let that word rest in our hearts this morning. And let, let us together find rest in, in the everlasting arms of our Father this morning. Church, let me pray for us this morning and just as we continue on in that thought, just, just rest in what's true about God and what that means for us this morning. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Father, as we dig into your word and we see the meanings of, of who you are as wonderful counselor, as mighty God, as everlasting father, as prince of peace, this is who you are and this is who you came to be for us. Father, to complete everything that we need for every stage of life and for everything that we go through. Father, whatever it is that we're going through this morning, just help us to see you rightly. Father, in the midst of our fractured relationships with our fathers, things that we can't go back or change or undo, help us to rest in the fact that we have you, and that's enough. Father, we love you and pray these things in your strong name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.